Greetings in Jesus' precious name again this morning. I had a plan. I generally do. And often God changes it up a little bit. So I don't know what all he has in mind. But my plan was, I have some concerns for our church. And so I said, well, I'll share these concerns Sunday morning when other people should be at their churches. (laughs) My, how surprised I was. This morning, who do I want to wake up? The church of God, wake up. What I'm about to share is not to judge what other groups do, but for us to consider where we'll be 20 years from now. That's our memory passage, Ephesians 5, 14 through 16. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Now there was a church in Revelations, Revelations chapter 3, that the angel was talking to. Revelations 3, 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. This morning my title is entitled, The Parable of the It Doesn't Matter Church. Unified in their disunity and in tune with their lack of harmony, the people within no doubt had their differences, but it didn't really matter. Because after all, the church requires diversity to function properly. The push and the pull that allows it to move forward. We may have all read that in the Gary Miller book, Church Matters, the ability to embrace differences rather than fight. What a lovely picture. After all, the church needs fence riders as well as legalistic and everyone in between. Probably not what he was referring to. The people within the church had their pet terms and they would use them on occasion and when convenient. Terms like, it's not that big of a deal. They have always been a little out there and they would constantly question the norms. Terms like old school and out of date were used to refer to the elders within the church. And once these aged men had passed off the scene, the church would probably be free to embrace even more progressivism. Just because that is the way it was always done doesn't make it right, and nobody could argue with that logic. Come up with a better way and we'll try it. Their motto was, if the Bible doesn't say it, we don't believe it. And to no surprise, the church grew. People flooded in from miles around, some moving from other states to experience the thrill of a church who is actually going to follow the Bible. 
They weren't getting hung up in all the little man-made rules that were plaguing so many churches where they were from. The The church was teeming with teenagers, young families, a few older folk that were along for the ride. One day at church cleaning, they were fixing up things outside their recently acquired building, which they had purchased because of the huge expansion of members they had recently experienced. And when they came to a fence, well, the fence was nothing fancy. Matter of fact, it was falling down in places and varying levels of disrepair. They decided to hold a meeting to decide what should be done with this fence. That Wednesday evening at a members' meeting, the subject of the fence was discussed. Nobody seemed to know where it came from or why it was there. An older gentleman who had been sitting quietly in the back ventured a guess. It seemed to me that one point that fence was put there to protect us from seeing the things of this world and to keep back the encroachments of the neighbors who are not believing people. The, the idea was quickly shot down by a young man that seemed to have been doing the majority of the talking that night. It's a stupid idea, he said. What is a fence going to help? We can see through it in many places. And besides, the fence has a gate, and the gate's never shut. If the world wanted to come in, they'd just come in through the gate. And I, for one, think the fence is entirely unnecessary and needs to be tore down. Furthermore, it probably hinders our witness, makes us seem better than them. If we can't see the world, can the world see us? We build too many walls and not enough bridges. We, were meant, we weren't meant to separate. Bridges, walls were meant to separate, and bridges were made to bring us together. I say tear the fence down. The old man responded, That all sounds good and all, but do you really believe the fence served no purpose? Do you really think it doesn't matter? If we tear it down, do you really think that back when this fence was built, that they just built it for the fun of it? The young man replied, they probably did it for the same reason they did anything, simply because that is the way it was always done. Holding people out, dividing, making others feel bad, no doubt to some it was a source of pride, and that they had held some imaginary ideals that others did not. And so with a majority vote, a resolution was passed to tear the fence down. In the parking lot, two couples were hashing out the meeting. That old man, he's the same one that thinks blockers and accountability software would help with our internet problem, that thinks the plain suit is still a practical application, even though it's hard to get fixed and far more expensive than just running over to J.C. Penney's for a lapel or a tie. Forget the suit, what's wrong with a sweater? The Bible doesn't tell us to wear a suit. Matter of fact, I feel like the plain suit makes us look like a bunch of Pharisees. I heard the old man say that he thought if we witnessed more, we'd be less focused on material pursuits. Can you believe that? The same guy that didn't want the fence to come down was talking about witnessing. What a hypocrite. Without the fence, witnessing will be much easier. Instead of us having to go out into the world, the world will come to us. And that's exactly what happened. With the fence gone, nobody knew where to draw the line. The posts and the corners were put there to mark the property boundary. But in their haste to destroy the fence, they had pulled all the corner posts and naturally burned all the rundown fence. They fixed the entrance to be more inviting and got rid of the gate that was always open anyway. Never a thought was given to put new stakes in the ground to determine where the boundaries really were. The new idea seemed to be working. It was like one giant bridge. The members of the church were going out into the world, some never to return, and the world was coming in at what some called an alarming rate. They came with new ideas and new ways of doing things. A disciplined church was the old way. The new church was going to be more like Jesus. It was a merciful church. Had not Jesus say, let him that is without sin cast the first stone? 
And they had all sinned. The Bible is clear on that. We cast stones at brothers who, who, why cast stones at brothers who had fallen into sin? They worked diligently to never judge, never discipline, and if something was to cause one shame, it must be avoided at all costs. They formed discipleship programs where men would gather together and pat each other on the back. Truth was replaced with relationships, and love was replaced with feelings. It turned out that many things they once did didn't really matter. The holy kiss was out of date, and the custom, a custom of Paul's time that was no longer practical with their way of culture. Instruments soon filled the front of the church. Giant screens were scrolling the words to praise and worship songs while people swayed to the rhythm of the guitars. The neighbor, who still wasn't a believer, had decided to expand his property. The neighbor was a gay man, and his business practices anything above board. No one had visited him. I take that back. Only one old man had visited him, and surprisingly, they had a really nice conversation. The rest of the church had written him off as a hopeless sinner, just as the young man had thought they would have would happen when they tore down the fence, the need for witnessing wasn't even necessary. The church itself was in desperate need for expansions as well, but the offerings hasn't, hadn't been as good as they had hoped. The idea of going out on Saturday or any day of the week to simply witness or to talk to the neighbors seemed like an impossibility. The economy, the way it was, it took six full days just to put bread on the table, feed the family, and pay for the few toys out in the shed. The weekend was to get personal projects done and to unwind. If they were witnessing all the time, Camping and fishing would be much harder to schedule in. Ball games and outdoor activities were always well attended, while Wednesday evening Bible study began to wane and soon turned into movie night. The church grew so big at one point they could no longer all meet on a Sunday morning, so they divided up into groups. It was not uncommon to not even really know who was all attending the church. People came and went as they pleased. Some left and went back to churches they had originally been part of, while others left and went to still more progressive churches, and some didn't think going to church really mattered at all. You could worship any day of the week, wherever you were, however you wanted, with whomever you chose. Romans 14.5, One man esteemeth one day above another, another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind, and they quoted this scripture for nearly everything. Such was the variety of attire that to have any form of dress code was completely useless, the Bible said dress modest and not to judge, so while there were those who seemed to be attired in an immodest fashion, it was really just a matter of opinion. Due to the fact that so many of the men worked in town, it seemed important to distinguish who was married and who was not. The wooden or silicon ring was okay, and the handcrafted Enso ring became the rings of choice, at least for a while, as, they pra as the practice became more widely accepted the variations of wedding bands soon change as well. Glittering diamonds and gold soon glisten through the pews on any given Sunday morning. As the practice of wearing a symbol upon one's finger increased, so did the unfaithfulness. It didn't seem that wearing a wedding band made the man any less available or the woman any less flirtatious. What was meant to ward off advances became the focal point of some, and the conversation often grew from some pleasant comment of the beauty of the ring and the more costly it appeared seemed to show the affection behind which it was given. The cap-style covering was completely abandoned because it looked old with, odd with the other attire. A host of other styles of covering took place with a wide range of shapes, colors, and sizes. After all, style didn't really matter. It was a symbol, and you can symbolize something in a big way or a small way. The loose, hanging braided hair was cuter with a little black doily or a hairband. The ball cap became a vi viable option as well, 
even though the men still wore ball caps. But at that point, they weren't following a host of other Bible teachings. Matter of fact, they had found some other good book that they were studying that supported their current position, and it sounded promising, and the majority of the people were into it. Soon, divorce and remarriage were commonplace. How could they hold people out that God had joined together? They either didn't know better or became saved after the fact. That which was stolen was not returned, but it was forgiven. The neighbor joined the church as well, but he didn't change his heart or his lifestyle, but it didn't really matter. They had grown to love and accept him just the way he was. They had a name that they were not alive, but they were dead spiritually. You know, we can't see the conclusion of the whole matter. We don't know where things are going to end up. Where are we going to be in 15 years from now? That's just a hypothetical scenario if you have a church that says, well, this doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. What matters? Where are we going to draw the line? Turn with me to 2 Thessalonians 2. 2 Thessalonians 2, 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by the letter from us, as the day of Christ is at hand. Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition." who opposes and exalteth himself above all that is called God and that is worship, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things? And now ye know what withholdeth that ye might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth, that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusions, that they shall believe a lie." that they all might be damned who believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brethren, stand fast, hold the tradition which you have been taught, whether by word or epistle, now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts, establish you in every good work, word and work. I've been witnessing what I believe to be a great falling away. Now maybe it's not in our church right here, but I've watched church after church say this doesn't matter, that doesn't matter, and soon nothing matters. Are we going to allow that in our church? This hasn't taken place last year. It didn't take place two years ago. It's been taking place for the last 15 years, 20 years, 30 years. It's happened before. It's happening again. But I think it's happening at an alarming rate today where churches are just giving stuff up for no reason. There's a fence there. Why is the fence there? We don't care. Get rid of it. Men who wrest scriptures to their own destruction. 
I'm not here to judge the practices of other churches, but I'm concerned in the direction of which a church is heading. What direction are we going? Choices that we make are directional. I'm also concerned about the purity of the church. More and more, all the time, I'm hearing within our churches that this thing doesn't matter. And I'm not sure. I'm not convinced. I've witnessed drift and apostasy. And it all happens in incremental time, just little bits at a time. Well, that doesn't really matter. It's begun to happen in our conference. What will my generation hold to? What will new ministers coming on hold to? Is it the only way? Are we doing it perfectly? No. But what direction are we going? What does the future hold for our children? 2 Peter 3.16 As also in all his epistles, speaking in them all of these things, in which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable wrestle, as they do also the other scriptures under their own destruction. Beware when you hear phrases like, that is what we've always been taught, but it doesn't really matter. It's a possibility, but I think our forefathers had something when they planned what they did. I think they had a goal. I think they had a vision. And I don't think it's as far off as some of our young people think it is. There's an agenda to get rid of the history in America. There's an agenda to destroy the old paths within our church. What was once considered tried and true has been viewed as outdated and false. We are in a battle with deception the likes we have never seen, with all power and signs and lying wonders that will go to the point where God will give people over to strong delusions that they will believe a lie. 2 Peter 2.1 But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there also shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness they shall feign with words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now, now of a long time lingereth, and their damnation slumbereth not. Do we as a group do everything right? I already said that. We do not. Can we learn from others? I believe we can and should. But when you hear new things that you've never heard before, and you see attacks on modesty, attacks on the head covering, attacks on Sunday observance, we better wake up. We're in a battle. If you're in a battle, there's an important battle fought in the United States, the Battle of Bunker Hill. And I did a little research on the Battle of Bunker Hill, it was not actually fought on Bunker Hill. It was fought on Breed's Hill. But nonetheless, Bunker Hill was just a little higher up. They didn't feel like going that high. So they fortified on Breed's Hill. And that day, the, the fortification on the top almost held the day. The people attacking the fortified place lost double the soldiers as those that were on an elevated position on that hill. Eventually, just sheer numbers overwhelmed them and that hill was taken but there were severe casualties on the attacking side if you're in a battle it's best to fight from an elevated position so what hill are you going to die on well what does that mean in a church 
Well, an example could be the plain suit. Are any of you willing to give your life for this piece of material? Most of you would say no. Okay. It's a practical application, yes, but it's something John the Baptist didn't wear a plain suit. Did he go to heaven? I would say he did. Paul never wore a plain suit. Did he go to heaven? Yeah. Did Paul and John the Baptist look just like the world? I would say they didn't, right? So in their day, they had a sign of nonconformity. I'll challenge any of you to dress like John the Baptist. He dressed in a weird fashion. Camel's hair, leather girdle, ate locusts and wild honey. Go for it. But he wasn't conformed to this world. It's an idea of nonconformity. That's why we had the principle of the plain suit, was it not? That's what they adopted. The world was wearing suits and ties. So our forefathers said, well, let's put on the plain suit. Let's make it a little different. We don't want to look like the world. We want to be separate. There will be a host of those who wear the plain suit and go to hell with hidden sin in their lives. Do you believe that? I do. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you sinless. It doesn't do any of these things. Okay? doesn't mean that it's something that we should give up. No, I don't believe it is. Just because a few hypocrites wear it doesn't mean it should be given up, does it? I don't believe so. So where are you willing to die when it comes to nonconformity? How far are you willing to go? When are you just going to, well, I'm going to give up that hill and I'm going to back over here. So when, when does it stop? How many hills are you willing to give up how many fortifications are you willing to let go before you say, okay, you finally got to a doctrine that I'm willing to die for? The Bible clearly teaches us that we should be nonconformed to this world. Where will we draw the line? Romans 12.1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Sometimes we keep principles, and we don't even know why we're keeping it. And so if we live like the world six days a week, and we come to church and we try to look different, is that going to work? Is that what God wanted? No. He wanted us to be separate seven days a week. Come out from among them and be ye separate. How well have we done? What about the head covering? Are you ladies willing to die before giving up the head covering? Why not? It's a doctrinal issue, is it not? If it's not, why are you wearing it? 1 Corinthians 11 states fairly plainly that a woman should wear, have her head covered, and not by her hair, but by a covering. So I would say that's a doctrinal issue. How about non-resistance? Well, you better, right? <laughs> Separation of church and state. Believer's baptism. Believer's baptism. Are, are you okay with infant baptism? If someone wanted to come in and baptize your child, would you be willing to die and say, we're not doing that? If your church says, well, we want to start baptizing the babies, would you draw a line there? Would you? Do you know how many of our forefathers 
were martyred and burned at the stake and had their heads lopped off because they wouldn't do that? Do you know I have friends here in Virginia that have joined churches where they're baptizing infants that were practicing like me five years ago? Are you aware of that? Our position of divorce and remarriage. Is that a hill that you're willing to die on? Or is that okay? Can we make some exceptions to the rules? Well, I guess it's up to you, right? What hill are you willing to die on? There are a variety of applications for the head covering that are biblical. And the one we've adopted might even not be the most biblical one. Having said that, while variety is the spice of life, variety is not necessary for a church to succeed. Uh, the churches I've been a part of in Alberta, where I've observed where we start out with the cap style covering, eventually it went to a smaller cap style covering, then a transparent, or transparent <laughs> cap style covering, to a little black veil, to a doily, and now they're wearing ball caps. This has actually happened. I didn't just make that up. Some of the ladies don't even wear coverings at all. That was in my lifetime. That was in the last 15 years that this has happened. It's not something that I just pulled out of my head. This is happening. How do we keep it from happening within our churches? It's all been neatly documented on social media, Facebook primarily. If you go back in history, you'll see 10 years ago, and it'll say then and now, and you see their wedding pictures, and modest ladies with nice head coverings, and a man in a plain suit, and you see them now, and you're like, who are those two? What happened? Why did you give so much up? That shows the direction. I'm not judging them, but they didn't grow more spiritual because of what they were doing. It's their fruits. And the Bible's clear. It says, by their fruits you shall know them. When your church gives up practices that it has held for years, ask yourself, why is it giving it up? And what will the end result be? And if you want to know, just look at another church that gave it up 10 years ago. There's plenty of them out there. And then say to yourself, is that the result we want in our churches? It's a valid question. 2 Corinthians 6, 14. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial? And what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and, not, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. When the church looks no different from the world and becomes politically involved, it is only a natural prog progression to become militarily involved. If you want to be involved in politics, you might as well be involved with the soldiers. I firmly believe that. If you want to fight for this country politically, go ahead and get a gun and fight for them on the battlefield. Just know that that is not the kingdom of heaven that you're fighting for. 
How often is it that us as non-resistant Christians are cheering on when America bombs its enemies? Is that right? Is that something we should be doing? If we rejoice when Ben Laden's house got destroyed, when the head of ISIS gets blown up in Syria, when you know, all these enemies are falling, are they our enemies? They're souls that need the Savior. And yet so often we look at Russia as this evil nation, and they are. But are we choosing sides? Or do we see Putin as having a soul and needing a savior? Do we see the Russian people as suffering as well as the Ukrainians? There's terrible atrocities happening. But that's not our kingdom. We're here to be light. We're here to be, if we can promote healing, if we can do things, if we can send stuff over to them, that's what we're here for. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it was, then my people would fight. Come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'm not here to draw the line for you, but I will ask you, where will you draw the line for your family? We've been given a godly heritage. Instead of throwing it all away, I think it'd be wise to see why they did it, why, what they did, and maybe even embrace it a little bit. To understand the principles and teach teachings of what they had. Are we teaching our young people? Are we just saying, hey, you need to do this. Well, why, why did we do it? I don't know, you just need to do it. Put on that coat. Why are you wearing that silly coat, Dad? It don't matter, the church says I have to. Is that how we teach? No, there's principles behind what we do. And our young people better understand it. And if we can't teach a principle behind what we do, then maybe it's time for it to go. Jeremiah 6.13 For from the least of them, even unto the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even unto the priest, everyone dealeth falsely. They have healed also the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? Nay, they were not at all ashamed, neither could they even blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the, them that fall. At that time, I visit them, they shall be cast down, saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Ask for the old paths, where is, is the good way, and walk therein, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they shall say, we will not walk therein. Also, I set watchmen over you, saying, hearken to the sound of the trumpet, but they said, We will not hearken. Therefore hear, ye nations, and know, O generation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will bring evil upon this people, even the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not hearkened unto my words, nor to my law, but rejected it. May this not be said of us. When the direction of your church feels good to your flesh, you better be careful. Does that make sense? When the direction of the church goes directly how your flesh would like it to go, you better wake up. I'm going to read a poem in closing. It may have been read here before. It's called The Ambulance Down in the Valley. T'was a dangerous cliff, as they freely confessed, though to walk near its crest was so pleasant. But over its terrible edge there had slipped a duke and a full many peasant. So the people said, we have... 
would have to be something would have to be done, but their projects did not at all tally. Some said, put a fence round the edge of the cliff, some an ambulance down in the valley. But the cry for the ambulance carried the day, for it spread through the neighboring city. A fence may be useful or not, it is true, but each heart became full of pity. For those who slipped over the dangerous cliff and the dwellers in highway and alley gave pounds, gave pence, not to put up a fence, but an ambulance down in the valley. For the cliff is all right, if you're careful, they said, and as the folks even slip and are dropping, it isn't the slipping that hurts them so much as the shock down below when they're stopping. So day after day, as these mishaps occurred, quick forth would these rescuers sally to pick up the victims who fell off the cliff with the ambulance down in the valley. Then an old sage remarked, it's a marvel to me that people give more, far more attention to repair the results than to stop the cause when they'd much better aim at prevention. Let us stop at the source all this mischief, he cried. Come neighbors and friends, let us rally. If the cliff we will fence, we might almost dispense with the ambulance down in the valley. Oh, he's a fanatic, the others rejoined. Dispense with the ambulance, never. He'd dispense with all charities too if he could. No, no, we will support them forever. Aren't we picking up folks just as fast as they fall? And shall this man dictate us, shall he? We shall be people of sense, stop to put up a fence while the ambulance works in the valley. But the sensible few who are practical too will not bear with such nonsense much longer. They believe that prevention is better than cure and they partly will soon be the stronger. Enjoy encourage them then with your purse, voice, and pen and with all philanthropists dally. They will scorn all pretense and put a step fence on the cliff that hangs over the valley. Better guide while the young than reclaim them when old. For the voice of truth, true wisdom is calling. To rescue the fallen is good, but tis best to prevent other people from falling. Better close up the source of temptation and crying than to deliver from dungeon and galley. Better put a strong fence round the top of the cliff than an ambulance down in the valley. Shall we have a word of prayer? Dear God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your guidance. I pray that our spirit, your spirit would be amongst us. I pray that we would follow your will, that we could be faithful to you, and that you would give us much wisdom in these latter times, dear God, as, as there's so many different voices calling here, calling there. I just pray you'd give us wisdom as a church and a body of believers. Help us to make wise decisions. Help us not to... Um, just freely give up those things that we've practiced, but help us to study into your word and see what it says. Thank you for each one that came out today, and I pray a special blessing on the, re the remainder of our service. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.